to make sure you get that depth of presence and that depth of knowledge to make sure you can recruit these people yourself as opposed to needing an agency to support you. But where you have that breadth of skill requirement, that's when the internal recruiter you know, has a much tougher job and the external recruiter will, will probably excel. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm joined today by Lisa Dixon. Lisa's the director of Infinite Players based in London. She has 25 years in recruitment outsourcing, uh, working across multiple sectors and countries. She's passionate about helping recruitment agencies and employers to resolve their recruiting challenges. Previously, as the managing director of InterQuest Solutions, Lisa set up a business which became the best performing business in the InterQuest group. Welcome, Lisa. I'm really looking forward to learning from you today. Hi, Mark. It's great being here. Thank you. So, Lisa, you were referred to me by our mutual acquaintance, Will Bourne from Recall Consulting, and he's been a guest on the show. He was absolutely brilliant, shared a lot about mental toughness and and mental health, actually, uh, and sharing his challenges and how he's, you know, built a really successful recruiting business um, from the inside out. And uh, what a great guy. He said, because I always ask my guests who else I should interview. He said, speak to Lisa Dixon about RPO and MSP services. She's an absolute Jedi. So I'm excited about speaking with a Jedi Knight today. Um, how do you know Will? Oh, so Will and I worked together when he was at Nicole Curtin. And yeah. uh, they were looking to uh, operate in this space. So I, I joined them on a, as a consultant to help map out the services that they could deliver. And we really focused on startup businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and how we could support uh, tech startups in, in their growth um, journeys and worked very closely with Will to kind of develop the type of service that Nicole Curtin could be offering. And I think from from there on, Will's actually gone off and, and set that up on his own, I believe. <laughs> That's what I believe. Yeah. And yeah. He's, he's smashing it. Yeah. Like, he said he achieved his goal for the first year of business within the first three months. Yeah, he's doing great. So, yeah. Uh, so it's... So he's very focused and and focused on delivering, um, you know, a clear service to his customers. Well, let's dive into that because this is an area that you have particular expertise in and I don't. This is like an area I never, as a recruiter, I didn't really work this way. Um, But I'm seeing more and more interest from both clients, you know, end user clients um, and my clients who are recruitment recruitment agencies to find different business models and and not just do things the way they've always been done, but find ways of working that are more efficient and more successful and rewarding ultimately for both parties. Um, so within my inner circle coaching group, I've got a few members who are, have either recently established or are interested in creating this type of business model. So could you explain when you talk about RPO and MSP and um, that way of working, could you explain what that could potentially look like from the perspective of a small to medium sized recruiting firm? So not a massive, you know, national or international firm, but I'm thinking of uh, a boutique firm that wants to 
offer this to their clients? What, what could that look like? And what do you see as being the benefit of doing that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so there's plenty of variations of what MSP and RPO mean out there. For me, MSP is focusing on contingent workers and providing a solution that addresses the contingent workforce space for a customer and RPO, recruitment process outsourcing, and that can come in loads of different flavors. And I think the term is now probably being a little bit overused and I'm seeing a lot of changes uh, requested around the the words being used around RPO. Um, So for MSP, it's about helping clients gain access to the contingent workers they need, but also making sure that they are engaged in a compliant manner So especially in the UK today, look at IR35, it's helping that client establish the status of that particular contractor and then making sure that that contractor has all the necessary paperwork, has been validated in the right way and ready to go. Um, It's also working with potentially that, that client's supply chain and making sure that they are adhering to those compliance levels as well. Um, So, again, looking at MSP and looking at a small, medium-sized recruitment business, where um, I see them operating very well is where they can ring fence and deliver um, those contractors and the specialisms that they deal with. So, if you were to to look at an IT recruitment firm, they could potentially provide an MSP for IT contracted resource and just focus on that and not worry about delivering temps into the business or anything else. Or start with that and then potentially expand to provide additional types of resources. And what they're providing the client is real specialism in that field and access to their skills very quickly because they have a database of candidates they have access to. They have established networks, they have recruiters that work these markets day in, day out. Um, mm-hmm. So this is why where I see those companies being able to operate and operate very well. Um, what they do need to have in place, though, are the tools and systems that will um, give the client comfort that they're getting visibility of what's going on. So it's not about just phoning a recruiter and saying, can you fill these jobs for me? It's providing the the kind of VMS platforms that you hear about, vendor management system platforms, which allows the clients to see the vacancies that are being worked, to see how many contractors they have on site at any one time, to look at the timesheeting aspect, the cost aspect, and then also to have a very strong back office process to make sure that that is that whole that whole um end-to-end life cycle is fully covered by the program. So those are the elements that smaller recruitment businesses don't think about. They just think it's, think it's about providing the person, but not the actual all the way through to invoicing and closure. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, no, absolutely. That that makes sense. So with the, um, so MSP stands for managed mm-hmm. service provider, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And when you say contingent workforce, could you just explain what you mean by that? Contractors. Yeah. Freelancers, interims, yeah. Um, PAYE potentially as well. Cool. So uh, um, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. And also, you know, you could potentially attach to that SOW as well. It's a statement of work uh, type okay. workers. And what, what does that mean? So that is where you would take on potentially a project and you would be paid or, and the contractor would be paid on deliverables. So in essence, you would establish a master agreement with your, with your client and then you had, you'd have particular work orders or statement of works that relate to that agreement for the provision of the services. So not just the individual, the, the actual mm-hmm. services. Fantastic. So what, what do you see as being the benefit to both parties of this type of arrangement? 
So looking at, again, we're we just focused on MSP at the moment. The, mm-hmm. the client has quick access to, to the skills that they need and they have the comfort that they're working with a company who understands that market very well. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've worked with a number of organizations that had no idea how many contractors were working for them. Engagements through agencies, umbrella companies, limited companies directly. Um, it was it's all over the place. So being able to provide uh, a, to ring fence that and to give them visibility of that is really useful to the client. There's obviously work involved in, as you say, setting up the back office, the infrastructure, you know, the software, you know, the technology. So there is quite a lot to it. And so I guess what if someone is going wants to pursue this, they're I mean, they need to be really committed to making it work. And therefore, they need to see that there's going to be a return on the time, effort and money that they're investing in creating this, right? Yes, that's right. What's the payoff? So the payoff is three-year contract, visibility of what's coming through, exclusivity on those placements, and, and, you know, a much stronger relationship than if you're operating as a one-off recruiter. Got it. Yeah, no, that makes that makes total sense. Um, and so, how how would would this normally be um, delivered on a sort of rolling retainer basis, or what would be the mechanism for um, commercializing this? Yeah, so generally, you'd sign up to you'd sign your your customer up to a three year agreement where you are their exclusive partner for that service. So mm-hmm. they're committing to providing you with all of the vacancies that they have in that space and you're committing to mm-hmm. delivering on those vacancies. In Got essence. It. With okay. a number of other clauses around all the other, you know, add-ons that come with that. Yeah. So there's so it's not necessarily that they're um, they may still be paying you on a contingency basis per placement. Correct. Versus um, but it's just that there's benefits on both sides and, uh, but you're, so that, that makes sense. What about the RPO model? How does mm-hmm. that differ? Yeah. So RPO focuses predominantly on permanent recruitment mm-hmm. and you have all types of flavors of RPO. You could um, manage the whole recruitment piece for an organization. So that is looking at everything to do with recruitment from internal recruitment, internal ability, attraction strategy, candidate management, placement, offer management, background checks, the whole kit caboodle to do with engaging Mm -hmm. with an individual. And that's what your larger RPO providers, the likes of AMS uh, and and so on and so forth, tend to provide to their clients. Um, Mm -hmm. Or you you can offer a piece of that. Some clients may have all of that in place and it's running very well, but they just want help attracting um, certain candidates or they want someone to manage the the applications because they have too many applications coming through and they want to offer good service to those applicants and make sure that those are being managed and dealt with in the, the appropriate manner. Or they are looking to set up a new office somewhere and they want someone to come in and actually help them identify the resources and recruit the people necessary for that new office. So there's so many variables that you can do here. Um, and again, looking at smaller firms and looking at firms that specialize in a particular skill set, you could offer an RPO dealing in dealing with the skills that you provide. So, you know, I've worked with customers that um, have a variety of skills, as you know, in head office, you have a, a whole host of skill sets. They may have a digital program rolling out and the recruiter in-house may not have that expertise to actually tap into the candidates very quickly. Yes, they can post an advert. Yes, they can do some LinkedIn searching, 
but they'd probably get gain better access to the candidates they're looking for if they partnered with an agency that would look after all of that for them. Got it. That makes sense. So that's cool. And I can see this being very relevant for the example that you gave earlier about Nickel Curtain, where you're targeting fast growing technology companies, for example, they don't have the um, internal talent teams or the infrastructure to be able to attract and onboard the volume of candidates they need to in the time scale, and they really need to partner with someone who's going to facilitate that for them. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any other situations where this, you know, could be relevant? Yes. Yeah, so, so here I was talking about more smaller companies and how they could help. Um, yeah. But there's also what I'm seeing more of now is a blended approach. So mm-hmm. you have an in-house talent acquisition team, but they maybe um, have varying needs across multiple locations or multiple countries and they just can't switch on and switch off their team quickly enough so they want a partner who'll come in and provide the resources where they need it and when they need it but also manage the output of that resource so they don't want to be looking after managing the, the recruiters they want that whole service to be fully managed for them and and the company i work with claremont consulting does that very well um and in providing these these recruiters to their to their clients interesting well uh, how would this relate to um, a sort of subscription-based model where th- you have embedded internal recruiters mm-hmm. working on behalf of the client? So there's a company called Talentful. I don't know if you've come across mm-hmm. them, um, and where they have they basically provide a dedicated in-house team as an external agency. Um, how, what are the similarities and differences with that sort of approach? Yeah, so, so in, that, in that particular situation, you're providing the resource mm-hmm. and um, that resource would be utilizing, making use of the process that the client has established and making use of the client's tools and attraction strategy. And, and they're just supplementing that workforce. So it's almost like a um, staff augmentation program. Got it. They have an existing setup. They've just got more demand than they can deal with. So they need access to, for someone to come in and help them out with that. Um, so that, that tends to be that type of model. So you come in, it could be for six months, it could be for a year, but it tends to be shorter term. Got it. Okay. No, that's really interesting. Lisa, um, if a recruitment company wanted to build and offer this kind of model as a, to complement maybe other things that they're they're doing, um, what are the steps or the things they need to consider? So the the best starting point is to work with their existing clients Mm -hmm. and to really start having the conversation beyond the independent individual need that that client has around one particular vacancy and start uh-huh. talking to them more openly about their, their their longer term recruitment needs and where their their difficulties are in fulfilling those. Once they get a view from what's happening with their existing clients, they can start shaping an offer that's going to be suitable for that client. Um, so that that could be, you know, we'll manage all of your vacancies for you and we'll do that offsite through our office, but we'll have a dedicated team working with you. We'll build out your brand. We'll make sure the market understands what you're about. Or it could be we'll provide on people on site to work with you and we'll start mapping out the processes that will work for you. Fantastic. And um, 
So that makes total sense. Start with existing relationships mm-hmm. and trying to enhance those by adding more value and bringing more solutions um, to the table. And um, then you mentioned some of the elements that they need to have in place in terms of compliance, um, you know, technology and so on. What, um, what are the mistakes or the pitfalls there that people need to be aware of? Mm-hmm. So the technology aspect is uh, a bigger requirement in the contingent workforce space than it is okay. in the RPO space. Mm-hmm. The RPO space, the, the requirement is more about recruitment marketing, attraction strategies, and how to quickly mm-hmm. gain access to candidates, how mm-hmm. to deal with diversity and inclusion, and making sure that the, the organization is not recruiting more of the same, but has access to a diverse pool of candidates. So it's more around that those aspects, which mm-hmm. are less technology-driven. Well, some, of, some of them are, but more about approach to market and making sure the client has been well-positioned to different individuals who may want to apply for a job there. Great. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so then what about on the MSP side of things? Yeah. So on the MSP side of things, when you need to think, think about beyond making the placement is providing the client with visibility of the spend and how, mm-hmm. how much they're spending against the assignment. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a, a time sheeting system that they have sight of. Uh, on the compliance side, it's making sure that the uh, individual or company through, you know, the individual through their own company that you're employing have all of their uh, paperwork in place. They have the right to work. They have been validated. They have a company number. They have a VAT registration number. They have insurance and, and all of the, you know, other paperwork that, companies who provide contractors will be very familiar with, but hirers who hire contractors will not be familiar with. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. You, you mentioned something earlier, which is VMS vendor management systems. I have to tell you, Lisa, I'm allergic to vendor management systems. And, um, as a recruiter, now I wasn't the owner of the VMS, so maybe that's a different scenario, but as a recruiter, I just refused to, work with clients that required me to upload candidates to a portal and, and, and where I was not getting feedback mm-hmm. on, you know, where we were in the process. I couldn't talk to hiring managers. I couldn't, um, you know, the, there was no transparency. And I felt like a lot of the jobs on there may not even, may, they may have been filled or they may, you know, there was no idea to how to prioritize these jobs and so on. So I just didn't even touch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's, your perspective on this, because you're obviously um, have been involved in in utilizing VMSs. Mm-hmm. So, so really interesting what you just said, because I think that's where the bigger programs potentially fail, uh, because they do implement VMSs. It does become a bit of a black hole, faceless process, and yeah. recruiters or agencies that are engaged as part of that process tend to put their trainee recruiters onto those programs. They're not right. going to waste their best recruiters in helping that client find candidates because of, because of that particular situation you mentioned. You know, you can't speak to the client. You send your CV, you may may or may come back to you, may not. You have no idea what's going on. So, so that's where the management of the VMS, the management of the VMS and the program, I feel, fails, and it fails for the client as well. What we're talking about here are smaller, mid mid-sized agencies that provide the technology to give 
the client visibility of what's going on. But in essence, mm-hmm. they will be delivering the majority of those placements because they're, they're focusing it. on their area of expertise. So mm-hmm. they will they are using the technology as a method to give them visibility, not as a way mm-hmm. to distribute vacancies to, you know, 10, 15, 100 suppliers. Got it. Where yeah, they, yeah, no, that, that yeah. makes sense. And where they do engage with the supplier, um, my view has always been, you know, engage with few and give them access to make sure that they can deliver on the vacancy you've given them. Because if you're sending them a vacancy, it's not a lip service. It's because you need them to actually fill that job. So give them what they need to fill that job. I agree 100%. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. <laughs> if only that happened more, uh, more often. <laughs> um, so on the RPO side of things, what you've described sounds amazing if it's done well. Um, what are some of the problems or challenges that you've seen where it goes wrong? Oh, <laughs> I have to put my thinking cap on here. Um, so where can it go wrong? Where have I seen it go wrong with RPO? Um, I've seen, yes, I've, so I've seen, I'm just thinking back to a situation where I came into where there was an RPO in place and where the RPO had lost complete control over what they were doing. Um, they had too many vacancies. They were not uh, managing the, ma- the the stakeholders, the hiring managers, in seeing those vacancies through. So they had vacancies that had been open for over a hundred days, um, mm-hmm. which to me, as a re- you know, in recruitment, had how is that possible? Um, and 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 basically, they had no idea what the priority was, what the urgency was, because they were not managing the hirer and guiding them through the steps they needed to take to make sure the vacancy was filled. Totally. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think, therefore, in order for this to be successful, we do need to be engaging with the senior stakeholders on the client side, Completely. right? Yeah. In order, otherwise, it, it's gonna it's gonna potentially fall over. Um, and so, coming back to the commercial side of things, how would you price something like that? You have a number of models available, so you can you can take the, the you know the more risk you take the more expensive it becomes for your client potentially. So you can work on a management fee, which is Mm -hmm. the the cost to deliver the program plus your profit. And and, and that's Mm -hmm. that's it. You can work on a management fee plus a fee per hire. You can work purely on a fee per hire. Those tend to be the three types of commercials that most people focus on. Okay. And typically in each of those models, are we, would we expect to, provide a lower cost, for example, fee per hire in order to gain a higher volume of roles and more commitment from the client? Uh, Not necessarily. It very much depends what you're providing. If, for example, you're looking at, you know, supporting uh, a digital rollout and you need it, you need to bring on very in-demand candidates, you know, if you, you you can't, you, you you need to ensure that you're delivering that at the right cost. Um, if you right. um, sign up to do that at very low margin or very low fee, the recruiters that you then engage in to provide those candidates are not going to be interested. Totally. And even if they work for you, if they have other clients outside of that RPO, then they may be reluctant to deliver to the RPO client mm-hmm. because they can make more commission sending that same mm-hmm. rare in-demand candidate to the 
clients that they're on full fees with or, or what have you. Yep. Um, so, so you can stagger your fees based on the type of vacancies that you're working on. If you're working um, a volume environment with lots of repeat mm-hmm. vacancies, then of course mm-hmm. it's about process churn and, and, and repeat, uh, how quickly you're delivering that. So your fees can be a lot mm-hmm. lower. Where you're working in a very specialist area and you need a lot more effort and time to build networks, to engage with candidates, then the fees mm-hmm. would reflect that as well. Um, and I think, mm-hmm. I think you know, um, unless you're going for a big uh, organization that has huge volume, um, it, it, you, you need to adjust your fees to cater for what your client's needing. Yes. Same, same with MSP. Yes. Um, so, so, you know, what, clients that I work with will um, deliver an MSP for a company that's managing 20 to 30 contractors. So it's not a huge program compared to the larger programs where you're looking at a 10, 20, 50, 100 million pound spend. We're looking at here a four to four to 10 million pound spend. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay. That sounds really interesting. Since you're listening to this podcast, it tells me that you're someone who's interested in personal growth and business improvement. That's something we have in common. I really enjoy listening to podcasts, reading, and listening to business books, watching TED Talks. But by far the most important investment I've made in my own development has been working with a coach. It started back in 1999-2000 when I was working as a recruiter. I hired a coach and he helped me to double my billings in 90 days. It was, it sounds corny, but it was really a life-changing experience. Since then, I've worked with various coaches almost continuously over the years, and it's made a massive difference to my own personal and business success. In fact, that first experience of working with a coach was the catalyst for me ultimately deciding that much as I loved recruitment, my true purpose was to become a coach and enable others to achieve their full potential. Fast forward to today, and I work with recruitment business owners to help them escape the feast and famine roller coaster and create consistent, predictable billings. If you'd like to know more, you can apply for a free strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. Talk to me about you uh, setting up the InterQuest Solutions business. Um, Why, you know, how how and why did that come about and how did you achieve it? Because I know it became one of their best uh, businesses within the whole group. Mm. That was, um, yeah, it was a um, an amazing journey, actually. So it was my first uh, position where I was solely responsible for setting up a division. Uh, previously, I'd kind of worked as a number two. Mm-hmm. So I had someone, you know, who was leading the show and I'd be the one doing all the, all the running around behind them, making it, making it happen. And in this situation, I was leading the show. So, so the challenge there is, you know, I joined an organization that uh, had the appetite to provide new services to their clients uh, and wanted to set up their own MSP RPO provision. Um, but they they were very typical recruiters and recruiters don't like MSP and RPO because in their mind, it's low margin. I can't have access to the client and why should we do that? I'd rather keep working with my clients directly and I don't want to get involved. So I had to kind of get this thing set up on my own um, with with very little budget. Um, so where I where I struck gold is in, in, in three months after joining, I signed up the first customer. And that customer at the time was Carphone Warehouse, um, and oh, yeah. and uh, and um, signed up with them uh, on the back of, of an introduction 
from the recruiter to their uh, procurement lead. And uh, I ended up actually having to be on site and do the work. Uh, so that's how I started. I started going on site myself, wow. do the work, <laughs> and then start building out the team because the money was coming in to justify, actually, you want to make this happen, we need to now start building out the team. So so that's how how that started. Um, and and uh, it, it took a while, but the, the company could then see the value of this type of service. And, and the other directors in the business were expressing more of an interest, were participating in client introductions and looking at ways to, um, to secure their customers more longer term. Fantastic. And so what ended up happening you know, because I think you were there for seven, was it seven or eight years or yeah, something? Yeah, I, I was there for, for a little while. Um, what happened is I then had my second child and okay. uh, following some reflections through Matt Leave, decided I was wanted to now set up on my own. Oh, brilliant. Which we know, which gives me flexibility, which gives yes. me, um, yeah, so it, it gives me what I need, what I need at the time and what I need today in terms of my own personal circumstances. Yes, absolutely. That's often, uh, it's funny because among my coaching clients, that's often one of the key motivators for the women in the group to start their own business has been their family circumstance, needing more flexibility and so on. Um, so coming back to InterQuest then, what was the sort of size and shape of the business that you set up from scratch, but at the time that you handed it over? Yeah, so when I left, we had a team of about 30 people. Okay. Uh, in terms of uh Revenue, it was about 60 million coming through the program, wow. various programs. And, um, I probably, I probably shouldn't talk about the margins, but, um, yeah, it was, it was that's a good, fine. it was a good business. Yes. Amazing. That's, yeah. uh, that's incredible. Lisa, what was the most difficult or challenging part about that journey and building that, uh, that business up? Uh, they, you know, that particular journey, the, the, the challenge was getting people to understand what I was trying to do and, and how it would benefit them. Um, and, and, and also, by people, do you mean your own colleagues or you mean clients or? No, my colleagues, my colleagues, because yes. when you look at recruiters, it's very, uh, you look at income and how quickly it's, you're going to generate the income. So when you look at mm -hmm. recruiters, you, you know, you, you get your contractor in, you get your margin straight away, you have your visibility of your pipeline and permanent placements. With this type of business, you know, you've got to, you, you got to look to three to six months before you potentially mm. get a return. Um, mm -hmm. I was, I stroke, I, I was particularly lucky with my first customer because in, in that situation, we picked up a lot of uh, payrollers. So a lot of, uh, contractors that had no one looking after them and that generated income straight away. Um, oh, nice. But more often than not, you've got to do a bit of work, a few months mm -hmm. of work before money starts coming in and, and um, people can be a little bit allergic to that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a short, it's, it, if you, well, if you have a monthly target uh, for billing, then it's hard not to think short term, right? Yeah. Um, and also I think people are always, bit protective over their clients relationships and definitely you know are like who's this lisa dixon what you know i don't know if i want to introduce her but um and i don't so alert, I, can, I don't learn my margins and you know i'm gonna end up with right. like delivering at four <laughs> percent right why should i do and is that? that just a miss is that a misconception then completely yeah and, and it's yeah. it's um it's been brought on by the larger players who do deliver at much yes. lower margins Yes. And, and have created this industry. Um, but, but I'm now talking about going into a different kind of sector, targeting the mid-market, going yes. after clients that maybe have less of the volume but still need the service. 
Yes. No, that mm-hmm. th- sounds really cool, actually. Um, so you, in, in, in our sort of previous correspondence, you mentioned uh, building out a team of 22 recruiters in two weeks. <laughs> Yeah. To deliver an RPO project. Can t- tell me about that. That <laughs> yeah, sounds insane. That, that was fun. <laughs> so that was working with a retailer who, um, <laughs> I think retailers probably are short-term as recruiters. Um, they, retail always has peak peak demand every year. And yeah. when, when you have peak, you need to recruit people to come and service your customers very quickly. Um, yes. but, but generally, they don't plan for their peak. They wait for it to happen. So, so not all of them, but some retailers always on the back foot going, oh, my God, we need, we've got peak coming. We need to hire, yes. you know, a thousand people in the next three weeks <laughs> or, or whatever, oh whatever the number is. Yeah. And yeah. at the time, um, my, my, my customer at the time came to me and said, oh, we, um, we've got peak recruitment starting soon. We're not sure of the numbers yet, though, because the business haven't shared the numbers with us. But um, could you pull together a team of recruiters to deliver these, these particular uh, retail consultants that we need? And uh, my next question was, yes, when do you need this to happen? Oh, next two weeks, please. <laughs> Oh my God. So, um, yeah, so I worked, you know, my team were great on that. Actually, we pulled together and we, we hired people, we trained them and we, we set up the process really quickly. And, and, uh, we ended up delivering, we were delivering 280 hires a week to that team and sometimes more. Yeah. And that was for a period of about three months. We had a whole assessment process running. Um, I had actually pulled in some of my directors from the business to come and run assessment days because we had to react so quickly. And, and the customer was really happy and then awarded a 18-month contract on the back of that to do all of that recruitment for them ongoing. Wow. Yeah. So it was a, a real success story. So the, the people you were replacing were like retail shop assistants? Yeah. Or? yeah. And this Got was it. this was on the back of... Um, not being the specialism of the recruitment agency I was working with at the time. Um, okay. It was very much on the back of the relationship we'd built with the client and, okay. and then seeing that we're doing a great job in the space that we're mm-hmm. operating in and saying, well, actually, could you help us here? And that's where that RPO provision came from. Th- okay. There's no way that I would have gone into a new client saying we can do all your retail <laughs> stuff. Right. Uh, but now I'd be happy doing that, having delivered that project. <laughs> yes. So how did you pull that off? Like what... I'm trying to, my mind boggles at the logistics mm. of that. Um, like two weeks just, it seems so quick. Like that flies by. Uh, what, how did you physically pull it off? Yeah, so I, I identified from, um, at the time, one of the uh, competitors of that retailer had gone bust. Mm. Uh, they got into administration and I uh, identified their uh, volume recruiter lead internally um, okay. picked up the phone to her. She came down for an interview, signed her up. She lived, she lived North. The project was South, uh, but okay. I made sure that whatever she needed was covered. So that was my first hire off the bat. Uh, and then I had someone else in my team start hiring the recruiters and she just brought them in and we ran assessment centers, assessment days, and we just hired them as they came through, assess them, hired them. Um, and then I also brought in a, um, uh, an assessment center specialist, um, mm-hmm. to help set up the assessment process. So it's really about, you know, wow. navigating everything and bringing the right people in to deliver that project. Smart. Yeah, no, that, uh, that sounds amazing. You must have, like, how many hours were you working per, per day, <laughs> per week during that 
ramp up. Oh, geez. It, yeah, it was, uh, it was long hours. I also remember because I was participating in some of the assessment events going around the country because it was a national campaign that we were running, going right, around the right. country just as an extra pair of hands as and when needed. Um, but it was, yeah, no, it was, it was great fun. It was, you know, it was hard to set up, but once it was running, it was, it was brilliant fun. Lisa, what, um, what's been your experience of navigating through business during COVID? Ah, so COVID, um, COVID has been tricky for me personally in, in that, um, my business was doing great before COVID Mm-hmm. And literally overnight, um, I lost 80% of my business when COVID happened. Um, but not not that it was a bad thing because, um, you know, at the same time, schools were closing and mm-hmm. I have two children and I had two children coming back home. Um, and my husband was getting very busy. So um, his work was ramping up. And so actually it was, you know, the timing of it um, allowed me to focus on other things throughout COVID Um and I kept working with one customer and I kept the confidence that this is just a phase. Once it gets through, it'll be fine. <laughs> so it's really having that mental, that mental thinking that, oh my God, this is yeah. the end of, it's not the end of the world. It's just a phase and, you know, we'll get through it. Do you know, I think that is absolutely the key is the mental part of it. Um, so your perspective that this is a phase it will end eventually, you know, we'll, we'll get through it. And also mm-hmm. looking at the positives. Well, it means that I'll be here for my kids when they're, you know, home, they're, they're not going to school and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, sounds great, but it must've been scary in, in many ways, losing 80% of business like, um, over. Yeah. Overnight. I mean, it, it, it was, um, but I'm pleased to say that a year on, it's just over a year since that first lockdown and back to the levels that I was pre-COVID. So that Fantastic. business back. Yeah. So, so yeah. it's just, and I think that probably comes with, you know, with experience and gray hair. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, keep calm. It's, it's, it's not forever. And, yeah. you know, you have these moments of anxiety thinking, oh my God, you know, we're going to be back to the eighties. There's going to be a recession, no, no jobs, but actually looking at it today. Okay. Certain sectors have been quite badly affected, but you look at the, the recruitment market today, it's, it's back to where it was in certain sectors for sure. Yes. You know, the and demand what is I've found is every time we have a recession or a correction, when the market comes back, it ends up growing even beyond the previous peak. Um, and so, you know, if you're already back to where you were, I th- you know, that bodes really well for the, for the future. Yeah. And I, I can see a huge demand for what you're doing, Lisa, because I do think there's a lot of recruiters and employers feel like the traditional model of working with agencies is dysfunctional in many ways and that there's sh- there, there there must be a better way of working or a different solution um what's your perspective on that like the what do you think is driving this increased interest in RPO and MSP yeah so i think um 
you know, your some some employers out there have created their own talent acquisition teams uh, and have replicated some of the things that agencies used to do. Um, mm-hmm. the, the difference I feel is that they are they have other accountabilities as a recruiter. It's not just about finding a person; it's about making sure that it's the right person, that person stays, understanding attrition rates, what's going on, you know, or are we attracting the right kind of person? So they're having a a whole host of other items that are coming to their day. And this is where now they're focusing on the um, type of person they're going to recruit, how they're going to be onboarded, how they're going to be managed throughout their career. And this is where I think recruiters can now come back in with helping them actually source the candidates, be- mm-hmm. allowing them to focus on these other elements. Um, so I'm seeing, I'm seeing some of that happening a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, Sorry, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> that, that's all right. I, I wanted to ask you a question about that anyway. Yeah. Um, the, the the original question was, what's driving this renewed or increased interest in finding alternative recruitment solutions to the to the the traditional model? And but before you answer that fully, um, talking about internal versus external recruiters, uh, my belief is that a a specialized, experienced external recruiter will generally outperform their internal counterparts in that, like, even just for the reason they have more things they can talk about their candidates to, right? Whereas the internal recruiter only really has one client they can sell. And um, whereas the external recruiter can provide different different options and also their constantly out there in the market networking and and building their um you know their their network and their market knowledge whereas now i suppose some of the really big internal teams do have specialists within that but um but what's your view on that yes yeah, so I, th- I think you you've, you've kind of hit the nail on the head there i think where you have an internal recruiter who's has a broad set of skills that they're recruiting for they can only spread themselves so far so they're not going to have that depth of knowledge that a specialist recruiter will have um but some organizations will have those specialists and those specialists mm-hmm. will do as well as well as if not better than the external recruiter because then they have the brand behind them and they're really focusing on attracting people for their brand not for other brands mm-hmm. so so to give you an example one of the companies i work with employers recruit drivers hgv drivers and mm-hmm. i set up their specialism because they need them constantly so mm-hmm. just make sure you get that depth of of presence and that depth of knowledge to make sure you can recruit these people yourself as opposed to needing mm-hmm. an agency um, to support you Interesting. But, 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 so, yeah, but where you have that that breadth of skill requirement, that's when mm-hmm. the internal recruiter, you know, has a much tougher job, and the external mm-hmm. recruiter will will probably um, excel. Got it. So, um, why else do you think this model is mm-hmm. attractive, or or is like? Ex- receiving more attention recently? Yes, I think if you look at the RPO market and the the kind of journey um, that's that it's been on, you know, it's all been about outsourcing the whole recruitment piece. Uh, it's, been a, it's been about the outsource of providing efficiencies around cost. What mm-hmm. that's led to is then potentially outsourcing the sourcing to a different country where the, skill, mm-hmm. where the, the recruiters are a lot less expensive, so they can lower that cost. And through that chain, you, you kind of lose quite a bit um, mm-hmm. and, and you, you become a 
commodity. You're providing people as a commodity. And, yes. and, and your end client actually wants more than that. Uh, and I think when they probably started their outsourced journey, they didn't quite know what they wanted. But as that journey develops, they realize, well, actually, it's not about just getting a bum in. It's about uh, making sure it's the right person. It's about diverse talent. It's about all these other host of things that mm. um, the initial engagement would not have taken into account. So so this is where they and, – and th- those host of other elements that they need, they – as an organization, they have a level of accountability for those. So they want to keep mm-hmm. ownership of those and develop them themselves. Yep. Yep. Great. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Lisa, your, how do you work with recruitment agencies? Uh, I, I think you sent me a summary of design, engage and win, anchor and expand. Could you just briefly um explain how that works yeah so so agencies that have an ambition to be in this space mm-hmm. i i uh work with to first of all understand why why do they have that ambition what they're trying to achieve what does that look like for them uh and i then work with them to understand their capability um mm-hmm. and what they could potentially be offering as an add-on service to their clients so that could be delivering a you know bespoke rpo and msp i then work with them to understand their client situation so who are their clients how close to their clients are there and then work on a, an engagement plan uh to see how they could then bring these new services to the door of their client and start mm-hmm. engaging with them differently and uh help them then put together proposals, presentations. We'll, we'll work with them as a subject matter expert. And uh, once that is secured, um, actually implement the program for them and then hand off and, and make sure that they have the knowledge and expertise within their own business to keep going. And wow. Also, yeah. <laughs> so it's a long, it's a, it, it can be a short journey. It can be just delivering yeah. the, the product uh, or mm-hmm. it can be a two to three year engagement over time where it's almost like outsourcing their outsource expert to someone else and then they and i want to help them build out their own expertise so they can just do it on their own and 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 grow from there fantastic so how long if if a, a recruiting firm wants to pursue this like how how what's the time scale realistically to have you know one launched and start to delivering this type of program? Yeah. So, so, you know, your, your typical, it's a much longer sales cycle. I think the dependency will be on existing client relationships. It will be a lot easier and a lot quicker to convert existing clients than to go out completely fresh and try to target, Mm -hmm. you know, new start prospecting and start um, to target new customers. So I think there'll be a dependency there. So if, you know, if I work with a company that has very few relationships, it'll take a lot longer to get this in. Uh, But generally there's some strong relationships there. Yeah. Having said that, I can see it being also a great differentiator to help you get in the door with new clients Mm -hmm. and also have something different or interesting to so you know a, a different solution that um, than they they might not have seen before. So I can see it also being beneficial from a business development perspective. Yes, it can. It can. Um, and and in that in that situation, you then need to have a different uh, salesperson selling the opportunity. Ah, could you elaborate on that? Yeah. So so your 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 three hundred and sixty recruiter will become very yeah. conversant at. Uh, 
you know, getting hold of a vacancy and filling that vacancy, mm-hmm. but then starting to talk about a, a maybe a, a bigger solution. Uh, mm. One takes their eye off the ball in terms of what their targets are because they've got to engage in a different type of conversation that might take longer. Mm. So one, do they have the appetite to do that because actually it's going to take them away from their, their target. Um, yes. And then they've got to, you know, they've just got to develop their knowledge in, in that subject because they never, they've never delivered that type of program before. So that's where interesting. The trick is. Yeah. Do you know James Layton? No, I don't. No. So um, James is the managing director of Anderson James Group. And uh, he was a guest very recently on the podcast. And he has set up this type of model. I'll I'll introduce you because um, it may be that, you know, I think it would be interesting for you to, to know each other anyway. But they actually set up their partners. They call it a uh, I think they're calling their partnership program or something like that. They've given it a name, but they set up as a separate business and it's a separate team that's selling. And, and I mean, the delivery is, you know, the, the whole group is feeding into that, but as far as um, marketing it, it's a separate, it's a separate business. And I wonder if that is the reason because it maybe, yeah. Yeah. Who knows? It would be. If, if your, yeah. if your um, service is to provide onsite recruiters, Mm-hmm. That's, you know, why would a specialist recruiter want to provide a recruiter that's going to take the work away from them? So you need a recruiter that delivers recruiters. Yeah. 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 No, that, yeah, that makes total sense. Um, Lisa, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Is there anything that I should have asked you that I haven't? Oh, no. It's been great. I've enjoyed this conversation. I'll probably, I'll probably think about it and go, oh, yes, you should have asked me about that. But no, it's been brilliant. I think uh, you know, I've enjoyed sharing some of my knowledge with you. Fantastic. Um, well, Lisa, thank you so much for making the time for this today. I've, I've really enjoyed meeting you and uh, look forward to, um, you know, to, to speaking again soon. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.